Welcome to the Tier One Podcast, bringing you interviews with the brightest minds in the shooting industry. Get unique insights to help you shoot better, survive longer, and outperform your competition. Brought to you by Tier One, the world's best shooting accessories. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Um, thanks for joining us on episode four of the Tier One Podcast. We've had a little bit of a break. Apologies for that. A um, bit of a long wait for this one, but it's going to be absolutely worth it because this episode we have the master of long range shooting, Frank Galley. Frank is the founder of snipershide.com, which many of you will have heard of. You may even be active on there. Um, and actually, Frank was so generous with his time, we've had to split this one into two podcasts. It's almost, yeah, it's just over two hours worth of, of recording. So, uh, in this first, in part one, um, we've got an hour here and we cover a few really cool points with Frank, including his story, so how he got started with uh, in his military service and with snipershide.com in 2000, um, how he developed early PRS style shooting competitions as well, and how PRS actually um, was fully fleshed out and developed on snipershide.com. Uh, which is a cool bit of history if you're into that. Uh, he also covers weaponized math. If you don't know much about that, stay tuned because it's pretty amazing stuff. Um, also, how to properly true your ballistic calculator. And crucially, I think everyone be- can benefit from this one, the biggest mistake that people make when they buy new gear. Um, so quite a crucial one. I think we've all done it. Also, finally, we round out with what's essential gear for long range and how do you choose from the insane amount of stuff out there. So this episode is packed full of uh, useful tips and tricks and Frank is a really cool guy. So uh, definitely worth tuning in and listening to this one. And don't forget, uh, in the next couple of weeks, we'll have part two as well, finishing off this, this podcast. So that's enough from me. Enjoy the rest of the podcast. Enjoy tips and tricks from the master of long range shooting, Frank Galley. Hi, everybody. Listening to the podcast, you got uh, Frank Galley from Snipers Hide. Many of you guys know me as Low Light out there. I've uh, been Low Light for a long time. Um, run the website, do training. And, and to give you a little background on me, I, I, I was a Marine Scout sniper, uh, enlisted in the Marine Corps when I was 17, and then uh, went to boot camp, did all that, went to infantry training school. And through there, they, they kind of wanted me to go to the recon side of things. Uh, went over uh, to do some of the recon stuff and then didn't get along is a nice way of putting it with one of the lieutenants there. Uh, I had a, I had a lieutenant that him and I uh, butted heads. And so I went over to the grunts to the line units, uh, one, two, and it was right. It was the, the right before they were reopening the statue of Liberty. Uh, We had our statue of Liberty under construction for years. Right. And uh, Reagan was going to reopen it. So they needed Marines to go up there as part of the International Naval Review. They had tall ships. Uh, I remember there was a tall ship from Spain right next to us. And, um, you know, it, it, they, they basically have the water parade go by. And then the uh, new Statue of Liberty was unveiled after the repairs. Well, during that trip, I got picked to go to that trip. There was two snipers there. And I had said, hey, listen, I'd gone to recon. This is what happened, but I'm in the line unit now, and I want to go to uh, State Platoon to be a sniper. And they were like, yep, 
cool, man. We want a guy with a recon background. That's great. So that was July for the 4th of July. And I was a PFC at the time, which, you know, no rank at all, really. Uh, just right. got in. And then uh, we went to Bridgeport, California for our mountain warfare training. And then right after that was October was the start of sniper school for the next class. And I was a student. So they, they, they kept their word. They, they let me go to sniper school. And, and I, you know, I actually, my teammate, who was a corporal from the unit, failed out. But I passed and graduated. And nice. Yeah. All of this is happening with the background of the Iran-Iraq war going on. Right. And so we're getting ready to kind of ramp up in that area. And they created the first Marine Corps special operations capable unit. And so the training was all changing. Prior to that, we were all doing Vietnam and World War II doctrine. Um, and so now they said, hey, we're, the Marines are going to be a little bit more special operations oriented. And this was going to happen in conjunction with this float. So I go over to uh, the med, I do a med float, and that's when the Iranians start getting a little froggy in the, in the Gulf, and they mine the Straits of Hormuz. So they grab a bunch of us, they create a MAGTAF, which is a Marine Air Ground Task Force. Um, right. There was 40, 40 ground Marines, and then like another 100 for the air crew. And they put us on a ship and they send us back over. And now we kind of get engaged in the Iran-Iraq war under what they considered an operation praying mantis. Or not praying, that wasn't praying mantis, that was earnest will. Sorry, getting reversed. Um, so I'm doing earnest will and one of our ships hit a mine. Right, wow. So Yeah, so uh, the USS Roberts hit a mine and we go and retaliate against the Iranians. Mm. So, so in the 80s, I was able to get combat action and do some stuff, which, you know, was a little unique in the U.S. I mean, certain special forces people were going out and doing small missions, yeah. um, you know, but as far as big military, not as much. Mm. And, and, and so that kind of laid the groundwork for me to be involved in that type of operations early on. I get out. Um, get out of the military and I'm doing private investigation work, uh, a lot of workers comp insurance fraud, things like that in the New York area is where I live. Right. And, and so, um, uh, I was actually a, a licensed New York private investigator. And, and, and so oh, really, Are yeah, you from New York originally, uh, Connecticut, but right okay. on the border. Um, if you turned out my driveway, you would be in New York. If you went right. left, you went right. You were in Connecticut. Yeah, um, right. so they recruited me because they had a, a job that nobody can get near anybody. They had three people who were um, in doing insurance fraud against Amtrak, the, trains, the train system. Yeah. And it was millions of dollars. And these three guys were working together but lived in rural areas. One lived upstate New York. One lived uh, by Amish country in Pennsylvania. And then another was mobile. He drove around and did, um, he did like flea markets, very weird stuff. Yeah. But he lived in his car mostly. Wow. So the guys that lived in the, in the rural areas, nobody can get near him because whenever a vehicle showed up to surveil him to see what he was doing, he would catch him. Yeah. Of course. So, 
Yeah, so a friend of mine said, hey, you're a Marine sniper. You got a ghillie suit still. Can you go sneak into this guy's, you know, front yard and, oh, right. fil- and film him, <laughs> you know, working on his house? Yeah. And I said, yeah, sure, I could do that. So, of course, I did it. That all worked out. And not too long after that, I started the Sniper's Hide website. Yeah. Um, it was, That was in 2000. So yeah. uh, I had just gotten divorced and said, okay, what do I do now? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm like, well, I, we were chatting. There's, there was people. There's actually people on Sniper's Hide right now who were there that day. Wow. And we used a website at the time that kept crashing. And every, you'd get 10 people on, it would be okay. As soon as you got 12, the site crashed. <laughs> yeah. And so we complained and somebody said, well, we ought to do something. So I made Snipers Hide and created my own site right. to fill in the blanks. And then when Snipers Hide got really popular, um, I got recruited from Jacob Bynum out of Rifles Only. He, he was down in Texas and had a training facility. And now 9-11 just happened. Uh, the yeah. wars are going on. Um, matter of fact, uh, I, my current girl I left during that, or I met during that time. Uh, yeah. We've been together since then. And, you know, so he came up to Connecticut and he said, hey, you need to come to Texas. You need to move your website from the internet to real life and do things with us down here. Cause right. uh, Jacob was known for hosting pretty much the only competitions in the U S there was like two or three tiny ones, yeah. but Jacob's was known as a bigger sort of tactical competition, a uh, precursor to PRS today. Yeah. Okay. And, and so I went down there, uh, shot a competition and you know, at the time, uh, as the wars are ramping up, the contracting started. Yeah. The military's looking for outside instructors because, again, the incestuous training from Vietnam was still happening. Right. And, and so, you know, uh, Jacob was a big uh, fundamentalist guy. Uh, started It was called Rifles Only because he worked with the Safari Club. Okay, yeah. And, he did a lot of ammo and a lot of work for guys that went on big game safaris. Sure. His, his dad, it's funny. The, the first time I met his dad, he had just come back from Africa and lost um, two rifles in Amsterdam because they, had, they, they went from Africa to Amsterdam, got off the plane in Amsterdam to spend a couple days and had their rifles with them. Mm. And so the government took their rifles because they didn't. Oh, uh, yeah, it was, <laughs> yeah, it was, it was like $50,000 in two rifles. Oh my God. So this was the kind of money the safari people were spending. Yeah. Yeah. And, right. Back and, then as well. That's <laughs> right. Right. So that's how rifles only got started was through that kind of safari type of deal. Well, yeah. Uh, to to kind of go back with you guys and and I, and it's kind of a Jacob story and not a Frank story, yeah. But um, there's a connection. When Jacob uh, was on a big game hunt, he was in New Zealand uh, hunting tar. Oh yeah. And he was shooting something. I forget. I don't. I don't want to say it's a wallaby, but something similar to like a, a nuisance animal. Okay. Yeah. 
And he was shooting him at like 1,500 meters with a 300 wind mag, an AI, in fact. Right. And it caught the attention of some Australian SAS people who happened to be over there who said, hey, we're getting ready to do a 338 program. You should come over because we haven't seen somebody just, you know, knocking off animals at 1,500 like this. Like it's nothing. Yeah. Right, right. And Jacob was just knocking them down like it was going out of style. Mm. And that's what created the military side of rifles only was work through the Australian SAS. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah. And then those guys used to be up in Texas all the time. And I met quite a few of them that used to come and work and not necessarily work there, but they did. But they hung out there. Um, Because that was their point of contact in the U.S. when they came into the U.S. for their other training that was going on. It was in Texas. Yes, yes. And so that brought me down there, and that got me working full-time as a precision rifle instructor. Yeah. So so that's kind of the background from there. And I know it's a long story, but... uh, No, it's good. It's a good, it's a very interesting story, actually. It's like, yeah. it's all over the world as well. It, it really does, because we, we, we do travel a, around quite a bit. But um, so I'm down there uh, uh, working and doing that, and, and we start creating the competitions around our training. So we looked at competition at the time to validate training. So we would do, you know, a couple weeks with uh, military classes. Then we do a few civilian classes. And then twice a year, we did big competitions. Right. And we would take the after action reports from the military guys. Right. And, yeah. and so they said, compete. Yeah. And, and yeah. turn it into a stage. Okay. So we'd say, okay, this guy, you know, had a run up to a neat wall. He had to rest his rifle, you know, with no bags and no stuff at the time. And from the kneeling, he had to shoot and neutralize a target at 800, you know, yards there. Mm, mm. And, and we would design it around that. Right. And like, in, in fact, I have, uh, I don't know if any of your listeners have ever heard, but they can go look. Um, there's a, a U.S. Ranger who's written books called um, uh, Nick Irving. He writes the Reaper 33 books. Okay. Um, Nick was a student. I have like his mission notes from those 33 missions. Really? Yeah, right here on my desk. And what we did is we created match stages based on these mission notes. Wow. And and that's that's how this worked. And When, when was this? Like what kind of era? 2003 it started. And then yeah. the, the high point was around 2007, 2008. Yeah. And then I left Rifles Only in 2011. Right. And PRS started in 2012. I was going to say, this is very, it sounds very PRS-y. You know, it's like you guys were doing it first. Oh, big time. Well, well before the, the PRS came from what we did because oh, yeah. they, they started it based on the Rifles Only events. Right. Okay. Um, and it actually started on Sniper's Hide. I've created sort of this in, uh, adversarial uh, relationship with them. <laughs> but, okay, yeah. uh, but because I don't like kind of how it developed in a way, but basically they started the, the whole thing on Sniper's Hide. Really? They started PRS on 
I'll start beside. Oh, yeah, it was all flushed out. It was all discussed. It was all worked on because our matches, here was the problem. We have 75 people in a match. Yeah. Well, we would say your match is going to, um, you know, registration opens on Saturday morning at 10 a.m. At 10.02, it was sold out. Wow. Okay. And so you really had to either come to a class or know us to get into the match because – people didn't realize is we had sort of a pre-registration list right and so you really that 10 a.m guest list yeah it was really only like for 10 people yeah 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 because we had 65 names of people we wanted to shoot with already it was more an invite thing that but it wasn't publicly announced as being invite okay we would say, hey, we like Harry, man. We want to shoot with Harry. Harry's going to yeah. come to the match. And if Harry, you know, if you say, yeah. hey, man, you would call me up and, and say, hey, I really want to get into your match. Hey, dude, you're in. I like you. You're good. Right. And I put your name down. Yeah. And, and that's and then, just pre-filled. Well, but then I tell you, go register anyway. Okay. But then we go look down the list and go, okay, Harry, yep, he registered. He's good. He's on the he's on the guest list, you know, and, yeah. and I mean, we've had guys from the UK. I still have um, we've had about four guys used to shoot our matches from the UK. Uh, one of them is a British Airways pilot and um, okay. comes o- yeah, he comes over him and I have lunch, dinner, breakfast because um, he stops in Denver, you know, about every three months. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, we still get together, but nice work if you can get it. Hey, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's not bad. <laughs> no, no, but um, th- the matches were like we wanted you to um answer a question. Basically, it was to validate your training. Were you fundamentally secure in doing the barricades? And barricades right. were shot very different back then. Um, no way. A barricade today, like the skill stage, is is kneeling, standing, standing, kneeling. Right. Right? That's the skill stage. Well, we used to do like three shots sitting, three shot kneeling, three shots standing, and then we would go to a prone, but we would change the time limits up, smaller, different targets, but it was sitting, kneeling, and standing because that three-step barricade is designed to replicate a supported shot, a wall, an obstacle, anything yeah. that you might come in contact with. Yeah. If it's a short wall, well, then you practice your sitting. If it's a little taller wall, well, then kneeling to get over the obstacle. If the wall's taller, then you go standing. Yeah. So we yeah. were testing all three of those elements with a barricade, you know? And, and we used to do paper um, shooting C's on paper with them, uh, more, more so than, than steel. And that way there, we, we kind of wanted you to kind of get inside that three inch shooting C, right. You know, from that hundred yard, or we were usually like 150 until they made them permanent, but then they went permanent at about a hundred, 110 yards. Right. Um, but that was the, 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 the idea was so you could practice those stages. I mean, we used to do stages where you shot off the barrel. You know, we would put yeah. a, a chain link fence or a barbed wire and say the barrel has to go through. 
and you'd rest and, and everybody who came to a rifles only or snipers hide match knew what their offset was if you rested your barrel on something. Right. You know, so I mean we we used to do a whole lot of um more this, practical it's clearly all inspired, sorry to cut you off, it's it's clearly all, all quite heavily inspired by like military experience, right? Like it's stuff that like firing positions that you would really have to use in uh, a combat environment. Yes. At least that's, that's what it sounds like to me. It was because we were dealing with for, you know, three weeks on and then one week uh, off there, we were dealing with military guys all the sure. time and, and all the, yeah. the higher end units, you know, so we would see how are they operating? How are they? Cause we don't, we never teach, you know, um, tactics. Right. We're just we're just marksmanship and fundamentals and how yeah. to apply the rifle system to your tactics. Right. Because it, it's, it, you know, I'm not going to come in and say, well, you need to do it like this. It's like, well, maybe that's not your mission. Yeah. And, yeah, sure. It's up and, to them. And, right. But we could say, hey, if you're going to run the gun that way, a better way of doing it might be, you know, a little more contact on that obstacle, you know. Your hand position could be compromised. Make sure you get your trigger control here. You know, if if you're rolling something over or getting under a vehicle or doing these things, yeah, maybe don't roll over prone and do supine. Maybe do a Hawkins position instead. Right. You know, it's about giving somebody that tool in their toolbox versus saying, you know, you have to do this. Yeah, sure. Wait, did so, you find your students were pretty good? Like, were they already fairly skilled or did you have to teach them quite a lot? Uh, the military side uh, was very good. The, 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 I will say the biggest thing we, we found with them is especially when they went to the semi-auto platforms, uh, uh, they, they were going to other training for their um, M16s. So right. their M4s and M16s, they would go to three gun guys or, you know, speed guys. Yeah. And yeah. then when they started getting their, their uh, you know, M110s, or for them as Mark 11s before the 110. But right. if they had a Mark 11, which is a semi-automatic 308, mm. they would do a cone of lead. So if they missed the first shot, yeah, they would empty the mag <laughs> on the second. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. So, so that was the, the, the goal for us then, was to try to convince them sort of the one-shot, one-kill mentality. Yes. Where Put a value to the follow-up shot instead yep. of, you know, because like the first couple of times that happened, you know, you'd have a guy and, you, and you'd run him up to test him. And you'd say, okay, run up here, drop down, shoot that target. Yeah. And they'd, they'd run up, they'd drop down, they'd shoot the target and they'd miss. And they'd go bank and that first shot would go off. And then all of a sudden you'd hear pop, 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 pop. <laughs> and then you go, all right, dude, what are you doing? And they just, they, and, and they tell you, they say, cone of lead. Right. It's like, oh, no, 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 let's do this a little better. Right. So, yes, they're very good because they're they're in great shape. They're they're sure. smart because, you know, the, the the special operations guys have to have a certain sort of set of smarts to them. Their their yeah. uh, their aptitude scores have to be higher than most people. Yeah. It can't just be meatheads. And, uh, right. Yeah. And, and so they take instruction really well. And so, yeah, they, they, they do do well, but there is definitely 
you're fixing that incestuous training because yeah there's inbuilt behaviors it sounds like well because the military how they normally operate is they 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 don't say you you know you go you go to combat like right now and in in today you 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 went out you 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 went to afghanistan yeah and you're a good troop you did your job everything was cool and maybe you, you you had a mission and it gave you a little bit of a reputation. Everybody, wow, high fives, man. Harry did a good job. You come back to the States, and they go, okay, so-and-so's rotating out of sniper school. We need a replacement. Harry's a good dude. Get Harry over there. He, he slayed a bunch of guys. Right. All right, Harry, you're an instructor. Yeah. And it's like you never taught. You're 22, 23 years old. You never taught anybody. You don't have formal yeah. education in this. You know, you're good. You're a good troop. Sure. So this they hand you. Set. Yeah, they hand you the same paper that they that they handed the guy before you. Yeah. And they say, do this. Just talk about this. Yeah. And it doesn't give you that. Um, it doesn't give you that sort of next level. It's yeah. just it's regurgitating what the person before you did. Right. I mean, because I don't know about you. I, I don't know your background as far as any military or anything. But I mean, if no, you have no military experience, no. Unfortunately, I, I, I wish, but <laughs> unfortunately not. I can tell, like, my, mili- my combat experience is super limited, but it's there. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's tiny. It's a little raid. No big deal. Yeah. I wasn't learning anything there. I'm, you know, you're not learning. You may learn what not to do. You may learn, yeah. don't, don't yes. turn it this way, don't go that way. But I'm not thinking about my fundamentals. I'm not looking at um, how I run the gun. I'm not looking at these things. I'm basically neutralize that, get to point A to point B, and get yeah. home. Yeah. So yeah. It's, 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 not, it's, it's definitely a good experience to have because it teaches you sort of you know that this calm under pressure it teaches you to to manage yourself sure but is it really teaching you to run a gun and that's why the military guys you know go to the civilian side where i don't have to worry about getting there from point a to point b anymore i don't have to worry about yes i don't have to worry about scuba diving i don't have to worry about parachuting I don't yeah. have to worry about ruck marching. All I have to do is shoot my rifle better than the next guy or be able to teach the next guy how to shoot the rifle better than the other guy. Right. And you have the freedom to keep innovating, of course, yes. because, it, you know, you're not hampered. Well, and then because I'm, it's not a stepping stone where the instructors don't stay there, which you don't want them to stay there, really, especially in that environment. Yeah. So I can then focus and go, okay, we're teaching everybody this. Maybe it's the mill ranging stuff. You know, we're going to flash, yeah. mill, flash mill a target. Yeah. Okay, well, what's an easier way to teach it? Well, we could do that rapid target engagement, you know, with the number system. Um, right. You know, like the weaponized math that uh, we've been doing. There, yeah, I saw that. I saw a little bit of that. Right. So we can sit there and go, all right. So like a, to, to give everybody example of um, like the weaponized math we're talking about, we created 
a ballistic calculator that doesn't use any calculations, really. It's just one number that we're multiplying. We created a single multiplier, and we actually just put it in a hard copy chart form so you don't have to actually do the math, but it's a percentage base because we figured out doing these classes as much as we did that it's X percent from 300 to 400. It's X percent from 400 to 500. Right. And it doesn't matter caliber. It doesn't matter anything. Meters, yards, the multiplier is going to work to within two decimal places, really. Is it a constant? Is the multiplier a constant? Or is yes. It, or, yeah. Because, like, and this happened recently, um, I'm, I'm teaching a class, and I teach my Alaska classes with my platoon sergeant from when I was in the Marine Corps. Oh, wow. Him and I are still friends. Cool. Um, we worked together. He was a, a, a scout sniper instructor, went to instructor school. He, he was with me in all the deployments. Um, we, we reconnected, and we teach. Well, he was in our classes. I record your dope. We have a God book. So for us, as a student, I'll, I'll come up and say, all right, Harry, you know, we're going to do 300 yards, uh, put a mill on the gun, and, you know, we'll get you fine-tuned in. So we, we put a mill on your rifle, you shoot 300 yards, and maybe you're 0.8. Okay, 0.8, Harry, write that down. That's your right. number. Well, I just wrote down, for you, 300 yards is 0.8. Yeah. So we, 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 we took all this data. And we were looking at it, and we found, regardless of caliber, it was within a percentage point. Wow. So, wow. yeah, it was very eye-opening. Yeah. And so Mark flushed it all out, gave it to me, and I shot it and did it. And then we had guys on Sniper's Hide look at it. We said, "Yeah, hey, everybody. I mean, now Sniper's Hide is big, right? So there's, there's half a million unique people, 8 million viewers. So we have a big wow. audience. I was going to ask about that. Yeah, that's, that is big. Yeah. So I can throw information out on there and say, check my math. For sure. And then people are able to come back to me and say, hey, it works for me. Oh, it was off right here for me. Yeah. Okay. okay. What, we, what we found is there was only a tenth difference between 800 to 1,000. Right. So now, without a ballistic calculator, without knowing your dope, without knowing anything, you can take this weaponized math, and all you need to know is the target you hit before. Right, right. Your, right, your, <laughs> da me. your data on previous engagement. So if I know I use 0.8 to hit at 300, I do my multiplication for the uh, 400, it's going to give me a number, and I guarantee I'm going to be within a tenth at 400. Wow, and that's, it's hard. And that's never been done before. No one, no one's noticed no, that before. No, um, <laughs> never cool. been done. It, it's it's a it's a percentage uh, base, and I probably have a data book behind me somewhere, and I can grab and even give you the numbers off the top of my head because I don't have them quite memorized. But um, it, it it yes, and so now when we teach a class, I have a laminated copy of this chart. Yeah. And you, you could be mill or MOA, you could be whatever, yeah. but then I'm helping you learn because yeah. I could say, all right, you're an MOA guy. All right, you used uh, 10 and a half MOA 
at 500 yards. And it's like, all right, use 10 and a half. Well, what's your six? Multiply that by this. That's your six. I go to the next next student and I go, okay, you you were uh, Mills and, you know, you were using 3.2. Multiply that for the next and that'll give you your 700, you know, and it's going to be. Does it work like out to, uh, you know, an infinite distance or is there a point at which you run out of. Or the multiplier is no longer accurate. Like if you get like 2,000 yards, 3,000 yards, does it stop working? We've only done it to 1,000. Right. Okay. So we haven't played the multiplication beyond that. Um, right. You know, you start, like I said, at 800, because I'm, um, I'm at, you know, 5,000 feet above sea level. Right. Um, it, it, it's, it's about a tenth off of the other, or it's, it's a percentage point off, actually. So I, I have to manipulate the numbers. To go out farther, we'd have to start manipulating numbers. And it okay. would be and the atmospheres are kicking in so much. Yeah. It it would become different for everybody. You would be different from me. Right, right. Okay. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. I uh, it, it, I I've been watching uh, a few of your videos, you know, just to just to get a flavor for the way you teach and everything and uh and, and you take probably because of your marine background and also because of like the amount of training and immersion in the subject that you have, you take so much into account. But it, it one thing that blew me away as well was the amount of math that you you can do in this um, yeah. and how many things you can take into account, which kills me because I'm not a numbers guy. <laughs> so it's so easy to fall back on the Kestrel or the ballistic calculator or something, but I'm following your videos and trying to do it manually. Um, is that something you always teach is to get people to do it manually first, or are you happy for people to use the calculators? A little of both. And, and it is because think about this. If I have a handgun, Right. I take my handgun and, and I can do my gun finger. Right. So I got my finger out, my index, yeah. and I point at something. Yeah. So here in my office, I'm going to point at a picture on the wall. If yeah. I have a hand, handgun in my hand, I'm going to hit it. Yeah, for sure. If I'm going to do a carbine inside a room, if I'm going to do a carbine pretty much inside that 100 yards, if I point my finger, I'm going to hit it. Yeah. Granted, there's a mechanical offset for the carbine. I get it. But at the end of the day, if I if I didn't, if I'm going to go inside a room with a carbine, I point, I hit. Of course. If I'm going to go, if I'm gonna go be inside my house, I point, I hit. Yeah. With yeah. my precision rifle, it could be, you know, 1,200 meters away. Yeah. And I'm going to be, oh, I'm going to be about 18, 25 feet above it. Yeah. And then I'm going to be another 10 or 12 feet to the side of it. Right. And now I have to figure out where in space, 18 feet high and, you know, 10, 12 feet to the left or right, I need to point my rifle in order to hit it. Of course. Yeah. Yeah, of course. I understand so the principle. Yeah. Yeah. You have to understand the math. But yeah. I'm, I'm not opposed to using the calculator. But what I do do with everybody with a calculator is I do. I, I, I call it, um, you know, that don't get distracted by your dope. And with our phones and our computers, yeah. they're, a dis they're a distraction because I'll go into the, my philosophy on this for you. Yes. Yeah. Um, so 
what happens is here's the mindset guy goes out and he's going to get a new, he's going to buy a Tika 6.5 Creedmoor. He's sure. going to buy a TAC, TAC A1. He's going to put a Steiner M5 or something on it. Yeah. And he, he, he's going to go out shooting. He's a happy camper. Yeah. So he goes and, and, and he buys the, 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 the rifle. He, he gets a couple, you know, case of ammunition. He orders his scope and it's going to be in the mail in a week. Well, what's the first thing he does when he gets home? He downloads a ballistic calculator. Yeah. And he starts putting numbers <laughs> in. Sit around, yeah. He's right, it's on his phone. It's a yeah. game. And he's can't gonna, help yourself. Yeah. Right, right, right. And now he doesn't know anything about shooting. He or very little, I should say. Yeah. So then he goes to the range the first day to zero the scope and, and, and he, he struggles. Maybe he takes a whole box of ammo to zero. And now he's going to start doping it out. And 100 meters, he's all good. Maybe even 200 meters, no big deal. It's, you know, two minutes or he's a 0.5 over, something like a six or 0.3. So yeah. that dialing up 0.3 is no big deal. He can, he can see that. Sure. And now he goes to 300 and he's nowhere near and he doesn't know what's going on. And he looks at his ballistic calculator and the ballistic calculator says, hey, man, you need 1.5. And he puts yeah. 1.5 mil in. And he's, he can't find it. He's nowhere, nowhere near. near. Yeah. Right. Because he's a half mil over the target because he really needs like 0.8, you know. And so he's struggling and he's yeah. looking at his phone and he goes, but my phone says, but my phone says, I read mm. on the Internet that this ballistic program is the best program I can get. And my phone says 1.5. Yeah. And he struggles. But if we explain to you. And we say, listen, here's how my class goes on first on this that morning. We're going to dope out the rifles. We put everybody on the line. We give them that weaponized math. Right. Yeah. Or in the past, they were getting a number from me. Right. You know, what do I do for 400? Here's your number. What do I do for three? I'm giving it to you. What are you learning when I give it to you? Right. And that's a baseline you're giving them. Yeah. Well, I, I know like what a 308. It's, it's from 300 to, you know six, 700 yards, it's one mil every hundred yards. If you have a right. 308, add a mil, add a mil, add a mil, you're going to be close. Right. You know, if it's a 6.5 Creed, 0 0.8, 0 0.8, 0 0.8. So I can, I can get you there. Yes. And, but now with the weaponized math, we're giving you a real number and you're learning something. So I have you write down your actual dope. So now we've shot for the last four hours, you have from 200 to 1,000 meter doped out. No phone, no calculator, no Kestrel. Yeah. Well, now let's take that numbers because they're good. We know what they are. We just did it. Let's go in the classroom. Now let's true your computer. Right. Your computer, real data. Yes. Your computer has to match your rifle. Your rifle can never match the computer. Y you know what I mean? And so. Yeah, absolutely. We're, we're, we're trying to put this logical order for you to follow rather than you fight the system trying to get you know struggle with the computer or it it's instead of somebody playing with their computer for a long time it's mm. done really quick yeah yeah <clears throat> and and one of the things we do cuz we don't we, we we do like i tried every method to start people off immediately with their software Right. Well, I would do the hundred yard zero. 
I would chronograph every rifle. Yeah. And then we would plug into the, the computer and yeah. then it's, it'd still be off because we got to true it. Right. Okay. Well, then, then we tried a 300 drop method where we did all that 100 yard zero. We chronographed your rifle and then we shot with no dope on the rifle 300 and measured the drop with a ruler. Right. Wasn't right for every rifle. We okay. I had a Valkyrie that shot point of aim, point of impact. It's like, what the heck's going on? Because there, there, <laughs> there would always be one student in the class. Yeah, that it didn't work for. It didn't work. So then mm. what we started doing was no chronograph. Throw the chronograph out the window. If you're reloading okay. and you're doing all that, great. Buy a chronograph. If you're okay. just going to go out and shoot, use 600 meter dope your rifle to 600 meter yeah. and then line the muzzle velocity on your computer up with that right okay so now you take your 600 meter drop line your muzzle velocity up in your computer because problem is if i chronograph my rifle the computer's going to change that number anyway right because that's how they true so why bother going through the effort when I'm just going to, so, you know, some guy gets 2750 and the next thing, you know, the computer wants him to use 2680 mm. or 2810, you know, yeah, it's, it's funny because they do a lot of people online do push the chronograph and, you know, talk about it. It's essential, you know, or I'm not saying professional people do it. I'm saying, you know, com just commenters. <laughs> yes. Know? Well, it's, 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 it's a product. Everybody wants to buy it. But the thing yeah. is, and, and the reason I say if you're, if you're reloading and if you're creating your own yeah, you know, round, sure. it's essential. Yeah, of course. If you're a casual shooter and you're going to depend on a computer, the computer's going to change that number anyway. Right. So what you would do is you would put your muzzle velocity to 600. Then go to either 800 or 1,000 and shoot again. So now you got a 600-yard drop, and you got either an 800 or 1,000. Well, when yes. you get your 800 and 1,000, if it needs to be adjusted still, if you need to fine-tune your computer, well, then you use BC. Right. So I've tweaked my muzzle velocity to make the computer happy at 600. At yeah. 800, I tweaked the BC to match the two. Now, if I move around, if I travel, if I do anything, think of a set of scales, okay? Truing your computer is two scales. You got a left hand, right hand, and the pan of the scale goes up and down. Yeah. Well, if I only depend on muzzle velocity in my left hand and I put more weight on that, well, muzzle velocity with more weight goes down, the BC side is going to go up of the scale. Sure. So so now I have like an imperfect true. Well, if I take in and balance the muzzle velocity and then bring that BC back into alignment, I've now mm. balanced the scale again. Right. And what we found is it's a lot less variations when you move location. It's a lot like, because for me being in Colorado, but you know, mile high of sea level. Yeah. If I, I go to Florida, which is almost yeah. below sea. Swamp. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I go there, I have to retrue my computer in yeah, the old yeah, one. Okay. If, I, if, I, if I follow the instructions that Kestrel puts out to the public, mm. 
I have to retrue. If I manually do it the way I just said, I don't. And they actually kind of tell the military to do both. And, really? Yeah. And, and so, like I just said, they kind of give a little different instruction to the military than they do the civilians. Yeah. Um, so here's the other problem. If you're going to use the, 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 the complete Kestrel functions to true, you need, like for a 6.5 Creedmoor, you need about 12 to 1,400 yards for the subsonic part. Okay. Where, where, where do to you, get, where, yeah, go on. Sorry, sorry. Go on. Say, where do you get 1,400 yards to shoot <laughs> true your <laughs> Like, maybe Scotland, you know, that's about it. Um, Wales is pretty empty. <laughs> Not where I live. Yeah, but if you look at the DSF, when you go to put that number in, it's beyond the range most people have access to. Yeah, for sure. Our way of doing it sort of cheats the system, but in a way that most software worked prior to this. You know, because um, I, like I said, I have software that goes back to the 2000s and stuff that was on Palm Pilots and things like that. Yeah, and sure. And we've always trued both elements and never just one. And and yes, there was a period of time where where. The software people said, oh, just do this with muzzle velocity, and it sort of works. Right. But, but the deeper we get into it, the more variety we put behind it, the less we see it works without doing it again and doing it again and doing yeah. it again. Just constantly resetting it. Yeah. So that's uh, – I'm not anti-software at all. I have every piece of software ever made probably. Yeah, sure. Um, I suspect you get sent a lot of stuff all the time. Like, try yeah, this, I, try that, try. I do. Um, you know, I have two phones just because one of them is 100% just for software. Oh, um, okay. My, my Android is just to run software because I'm an Apple iPhone guy. Sure. And, and so a lot of times software writers will write for Android first. And okay. so for me to run test stuff, I have a phone just for that. I have, okay. you know, I have like, test setups when people do send things. Yeah. Yeah, of course, Android is a more open system, isn't it? And Apple's quite sort of restrictive on what they allow on the App Store. So from yeah. what I've heard, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and even like for you guys, I, I have a Windows phone as well. I don't have... Yeah? Yes, I have... Um, <laughs> I didn't know they still made them. <laughs> they don't really, but it, ha it doesn't have a SIM card in it. It just hooks yeah. to Wi-Fi. But yeah. my Windows phone runs cold bore which is from Patagonia Ballistics out of Argentina. Right, okay, yeah. So he, his, his software only runs on cold bore, so I have a phone that, you know, I just turn on and off and you connect to Wi-Fi, but doesn't make any phone calls. Yeah. But that's, that's the system that it needs to run that software. Do you think, uh, for because, I mean, you've sort of answered the question about the importance of software. Um, it is important, but, but also do the do the, the analog version. But there's, I, I'm seeing a huge shift in the industry, and, and I think you referenced this in one of your videos, that post 9-11, the long-range shooting industry, the civilian side changed massively. There was like a lot of development, a lot of changes happening where the old style of, um, like to use your phrasing just now, the kind of Vietnam War, World War II style of stuff went away. 
and you started developing these new systems. And with it came a ton of new technology and a ton of new accessories. And, and now you look at the market, like I was at SHOT Show in January, and you look at the, there's so many different stalls where they're developing one tiny piece of the rifle system or of the software, but they're developing it into this, you know, to the nth degree. Um, and if you want, you can go out and spend 50 grand on gear, like tomorrow. But obviously, you don't need all that gear. Um, there's two questions out of that. One, what is the essential gear for somebody in long range or is moving into long range or is doing a little bit and wants to get serious about it, but not blow the bank? And two, where do you see that going in terms of the US gun industry? Is it good for the industry? Is it creating confusion? What are your thoughts? Um, yeah, we it's money. We, yeah. you know, the, the military invested so much money and, and, you know, like the special forces guys were getting unlimited budgets early on. Right. Um, I, I think it took like forever for Canada to finally go to their SF guys and, you know, hey, you guys have to give us a budget because, right. you know, we can't keep going unlimited for you. But um, yes, it, it, and so the, it, it is changing. It is going electronic in it is biting people. So there is a downside to electronics and now essential gear. And to be serious. Yeah. That's, that's a loaded question in a, in a lot of ways. Sure. You, you know, yeah, you need your rifle. You need a, you, you need a good, good rifle. Right. You know, and, yeah. and, and I, like I said, I'll go back to the Tika platform. I, I think it's a great platform. Yeah. So you, you get a, you get a Tika tac a one. Yeah. Or even a T3. Yeah. Um, sure. T3 X. Right. And, and but I, I'll stick with the TAC A1 because it's more of the military look with the, the chassis system and it's sure. more of a crossover. You buy that now, you want to get a good scope, put it in top it with a good scope with a usable reticle. The reticle is the key point of a scope. Now, okay. there's two elements really there's your elevation, your usable elevation. You want to make sure that has enough for the caliber you're shooting. Yeah. And then you want the reticle in, in, in sort of that adjustment system that works for you so the reticle and the turrets have to match and you want the one that when you look at it your mind says yes i understand this because you're you're it's a ruler right so you don't want a ruler that's in a foreign language to you you want a ruler that's going to speak to you so that's an essential thing yeah well then from there right you need good ammo a rear bag and then I always advocate I'm a I'm a bipod slob uh, because yeah. <laughs> I've seen bipods matter. So you okay. want a good, good bipod. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. a, a stamped sheet metal Harris is your lowest common denominator. Does it work? Absolutely. Yeah. Are they out of square? Are they out of spec? Do they bounce on the springs? Are they, you know, hard to deal with? And, 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 and are you going to do more than you should? on your side of the rifle because you're running a Harris? Yes. Right. But will it work? Absolutely. You know, so you want a good bipod in, in, in that. Um, you know, so I'm definitely in that essential equipment. Then like bag wise, starting out, you need one bag, a good rear bag. Okay. Okay, so you need the rear bag. Now, as you progress, you're gonna wanna go into the competitions or do something, even on the military side, if you're going to be serious and you're going to move to the next level, well, then there's there's a two-bag solution. 
So one is a a, 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 a Saracen, a warhorse type, a game changer, the yeah. heavy, the, 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 it's a support bag. Okay. Yeah. So you need a support bag for the rifle. Yeah. Then the one is you need the pillow or the support bag for you. So to me, that would be the essential products right there. Is, right. is that now the last missing part is you either need the data book yeah. or you need the computer. Yeah. Well, if you're going with the computer, you better have some kind of backup, hard copy piece of paper. I think hard, sure. copies, hard copy to me is always going to beat a computer because of weather, conditions, things like that. Now, if you're, if you're a guy out there listening and you're strictly a phone guy, and you're going to run software on your phone, I will tell you, if you come to my range in August, and if you put your phone down and you shoot your first yard line, and then you get your dope for your next yard line, and then I say, okay, hey, we're going to talk about this shot we just take, and I, and I spend 10 minutes talking to you, and then I, I send you back to your rifle, your phone's going to be shut off. Yeah. Because the heat. Oh, oh, really? <laughs> Do you mean it just got, the screen has gone off? You mean it's, the heat's going to kill it? Yeah. Because I'm a mile closer to the sun, right. it's going to be 90 degrees, and it's going to go into thermal mode immediately. Wow, okay. Yeah. Well, there's the weakness in the system straight away. Right. Now, your Kestrel is, is better because it won't have that happen, but then, you know, you might run into cases where, you know, you get out of your car, you're walking over, you dropped your Kestrel, and your guy drove by, your buddy came, pulled up, and right when you dropped your Kestrel, he drove up and rode and drove over it. Yeah, for sure. For now sure. you just broke your Kestrel. What are you going to do? Oh, you're screwed. Go home. <laughs> yeah. Or you're spinning it to get the atmospheres. You're spinning it and spinning it, and you let go of it, and you fling it, and it breaks. You know, maybe, maybe not. But anyway, so I always consider a hard copy backup. To me, yeah. that's essential gear. That gets everything done. Now then from there, you can look at laser range finders. Yeah. I'm a big fan of them. I, I, I honestly don't see, yes, you know, mill ranging is a legacy skill, but it's 600 yeah. meter and in. Yeah. It was for your personal danger space. It wasn't meant to yeah. range something at 900. It was right. meant to range something at 500. So it was originally a military technique. Yeah, because it was artillery for me. I have a 600 meter danger close window. Yeah. I have a radio. Yeah. Okay. Well, inside 600 is my personal danger space. I, sure. I'm, 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 I'm threatened by everything yeah. inside 600. Yeah, so, you've got to take it out. Right. After that, not so much. I have time and opportunity to do my job. I can, I can look at the map. I can do you know, all kinds of things, reference points. Um, I can throw artillery out there if I want. Yeah. You know, um, I could drop a drone. I could do whatever I have to do. But inside, mm -hmm. they're going to be a little more hesitant. I better be in trouble before they're going to drop it. Right. You know, so that's why there's different ways of doing the job that way that people don't have the context. You know, because we only see yeah. an image, um, you know, just like, uh, you know, you do bipods. So. Yeah. People always look at the pictures of the snipers from my era shooting off their backpack, their ruck. Yeah, sure. So, so I'm going to throw, well, you guys are Bergen, right? So I'm going to throw my Bergen yeah. down. I'm 
I'm going to, I'm going to put it on top. I'm going to drop on top of it and I'm going to get my shot off and then I'm going to pick up everything and I'm going to go. Well, what they didn't know is my sniper rifle, my M40A1, didn't have a bipod and had no way of putting one on it even if they had one. <laughs> really? There's no, there's no mount. So what mm. we used to do is we used to make a tripod out of our tent stakes with 550 cord. Oh, wow. If I was going to be in a more permanent position, I can make a little tripod with my tent stakes. I can I could take my three tent stakes because I'm going to carry them anyway. Yeah. I could wrap, wrap them with 550. When I get to my location, I just turn them to the side and I create a tripod and I can put my rifle on it. Huh. But if I'm moving and I'm moving a contact, well, then I'm not going to take that out of my pack. I'm not going to put all these things together. I'm just going to drop my pack down and I'm going to shoot off it. Yeah, yeah. No more than three shots from any one position and displace. Oh, really? I didn't know that. That's interesting. That's, well, that's cool tradecraft. Yeah, I don't want to catch an artillery round. Right, of course. Yeah, you know? mortar or something. So yeah, yeah. Eyes on you. yeah. You know what I mean? I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to eat a tank round or something. It, oh, it's, yeah. it, it, and I actually know somebody who it was the, our, our, I was a, it was a friendly fire situation, but there was a sniper on Overwatch. And the infantry saw him, and what's what was the counter? They sent the tank round after him and actually kind of hurt him a little bit. Oh, um, Jesus. But they, they use a tank, you know? Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, it, they're not going to yeah, risk themselves. Just right. put a shell in there. So context with precision rifle is the lacking part of it. That's right. the missing element. You've been listening to the Tier 1 Podcast. Brought to you by Tier 1, makers of the world's finest rifle accessories. Find out more at tier-1-usa.com. And tune in for more great insights on the next episode.